Amen. Just wait and see if the lights are going to go out. Hey, all right, I, I heard Patty whisper to Eddie, he looks taller in the dark, you know, so maybe, maybe need to cut him out again, I don't know. Good to, good to be here with you today. I'm glad that you have chosen uh, to celebrate uh, your Thanksgiving time uh, being in God's house because when we're truly thankful and we have so many things to be thankful for, what better place to be than to come to God's house with God's people and open up God's word and just say, God, we thank you and we love you for all that you've done for us. Well, did anybody uh, do their Black Friday shopping? Anybody, anybody try that? A few people, did you get that television you wanted? Were they out by the time you got there? Some people did. Good. Hey, I'll tell you a story that I saw there as a part of Black Friday. You know I'm not a big shopper, and so normally when I'm shopping, I, instead of shopping, I'm just looking at people, you know, because, you know, people are funny, you know, if you look at them. And uh, there was a, a, a lady that was uh, driving around the parking lot. You know, it was full. You had, to, you had to park all down in the Cracker Barrel and all that to get into Walmart. And a lady was driving around, and she was on a, a, a big Lincoln Continental. And it was an older one, you know, those that, that looked like a boat, like a tank. I mean, you know, a big, big car. She had a handicap sticker on there, but, of course, all the handicap uh, cap spots were, were taken. And so she was just driving around trying to find something close to the building and so she was driving and driving and just kept driving and 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 finally there was a man pretty close to the front on a pickup truck uh, he got in his car truck and he was going to back out and so she stopped you know like you do to wait for him to pull out and she was going to pull into his space so he pulled out but before she could you know get her car and drive and 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 ease in there uh, there was a Two, two young women on a, on a little small car just whipped around her and whipped in that space. And they got out and they saw the lady was waiting on the space and they got out and walked by her and said, that's what you can do when you're young and fast. Well, the, the, I couldn't believe it. The lady, she just put her car in reverse and backed up. But then she backed up a little bit and stopped, put it in drive and just boom! Hit that little car. She backed up, put it in drive, and boom, hit it a second time. She backed up. I'm thinking, I hope, wonder who her insurance carrier is, but she backed out and boom, hit it the third time. Until she had moved that little car out of the parking space. And the, and the owners of the car, they, they were just, those two young women, they were just standing there with their mouths open. I mean, they didn't know what, but she, Parked, got out, and went by and said, that's what you can do when you're old and rich. <laughs> you know, we all have things to be thankful for, right? Of course, that really didn't happen. That's so old. I started not to tell it. But, you know, it is a good story because we all have things to be thankful for. But, but have you noticed lately at least it, it seems that, you know, we, we really can't even take time for Thanksgiving because we've got to try to get an early start on Christmas. And, and not the real meaning of Christmas, just all the, the, the worldly idea of Christmas. It has nothing to do with Jesus coming and dying, uh, coming and being born in a manger and growing up and dying on the cross for our sins. Just wanting to get a, a head start on things. It, and it almost seems like we barely have time to step, sit down together as a family and have a meal and be thankful before we're up rushing, trying to get started on the holidays. When we look in our world today and we see that 
desire to acquire. That, that, that endless quest for things, for, for, for stuff. I mean, my goodness, we, we, you look at some of the symptoms that we see. Around. First of all, debt. You know, they tell us now that the average American spends $130 for every $100 they make. Now, I'm from Alabama, so I've never been real smart on math, but I know that you can't take in 100 and spend 130 very long. Before long, those credit cards are going to reach their limit, and the bank's going to cut you off, and then you've got to pay for all of that stuff. And, and so that, that, that debt begins to mount. So someone said earlier, as Christians, why do we put on plastic what God wants to give us? Right? But we just run out there and get it. And, and then that, that debt, what does it lead to? Well, it leads to worry. How am I going to pay for it? You know, some of us are struggling right now to pay for last year's Christmas. We don't even have, we've only pay, made the minimum payments on the credit cards for last year. And here we are trying to figure out how we're going to do it all over again this year. And that debt leads to worry. And, and, and then, of course, that worry brings about a lot of stress, doesn't it? Because now we're stressed out trying to make ends meet because we have too much month at the end of the month. And then that worry and that stress, it's not long before you begin to have conflict. You know, still, the, the, the number one cause of divorce is financial difficulties. Because all of a sudden now, the debt and the worry and the stress and the conflict, and all of a sudden, there's, there's tension in the family. And through it all, there's still an overwhelming sense of, of dissatisfaction. Maybe we need to remember what the preacher said in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. Whoever loves money never has money enough. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. I mean, my goodness, think about it. We buy something new and we have the thrill, the new smell and all that, but it, it doesn't last but just a little while and those payments go on and on and on and on. In fact, most things are either worn out or, the, or they're no longer even working and we still owe money on them. Dissatisfaction. Why is it that in, in our world today that, that we want to buy things with money we don't have, buy things that we don't need to impress people that we don't even like. We don't even like them in the first place. But we think we have to do it. There is a lot of pressure in this world in which we live. But Christians, we're supposed to be different, right? We're, we're disciples. We're followers of Christ. And so maybe we need to learn what the Apostle Paul learned. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 4? Brother Tom had us look at Philippians chapter 1 last week, and we'll look at Philippians chapter 4 this week. I love Philippians because Philippians really is just a thank you letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, thanking them for all that they meant to him and his ministry. But in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10, we get a little insight into one of the secrets of the Apostle Paul. And that secret is the secret of contentment. If you have Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, would you stand with me in honor of God's word? 
But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you've done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also then the beginning of the gospel. When I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift. But I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the thing sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Paul. And for the secret of contentment that you taught him. And Lord, how much more do we need to learn that in this day, in this world, in this society in which we live? Help us, Lord, as believers not to fall into the enemy's snare, not to fall into the devil's trap, but to learn that secret of contentment. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The Paul, Paul said, I have learned to be content. He said, hey, I've had times when, when I had everything I wanted. And I've had times when I had absolutely nothing. But it didn't affect who I was. And it did not affect my contentment. Because Paul always had an attitude of gratitude. He thanked God in each and every situation. Remember where Paul is writing when he wrote this letter to the Philippians? He's not in some lush church office somewhere. He's in a, in a deep dark dungeon somewhere. Probably in Rome already. And Paul is saying even in this jail I can be content. How, how do we learn those lessons? How do we learn what Paul learned? Well, I believe he shares with us here at least four steps that we can learn. First of all, we've got to resist comparing ourselves to others. Now, you know what I'm talking about. You've, you've just made your last payment on your car. And you're thinking how great it's going to be not to have a car payment. Some extra money, some things you can do, things you need, helps on your budget. You, you got that thing paid for, no car payment. You're feeling good. And then you go to Mama's for Thanksgiving. And your brother-in-law drives up in that brand new four-wheel drive truck. And he takes you for a ride on it. And it's got all the latest gizmos and gadgets. It's got that new leather smell. And I mean, it just looks sharp. It's shiny. No dents, no dings, no nothing. I mean, it looks really good. And you're riding around in it. And all of a sudden, you get the fever. You get the itch. And on the way home now, that car that was perfectly fine on the way to Mama's, on the way home, all of a sudden, it's just, it's just not running right. It's skipping. 
It'll probably cost you more money in repairs to keep that truck than it will be to go trade it and get a brand new one. Why? All because your brother-in-law got a new car. Have a house. It's fine. Just right for you, for your family. Then someone at work invites you over for a cookout. And they just built a big, nice house in a really nice neighborhood. And you look at all of the things that they have and, and how wonderful it is, and all of a sudden you go back to your old Cracker Box house not enough plug-ins, not enough bathrooms, it's everything, it's just all the maintenance and repairs and the neighborhood's going down and every, all of a sudden you want to put a for sale sign out in front of yours. Or worse, go buy one and then put a for sale sign in front of yours. All because you saw what somebody else had. We got to resist comparing ourselves to others. You know, there's always those folks that like to brag about what they have, right? I, I know a story of an old boy who moved into a neighborhood, and he didn't know it, but, but he moved in right next door to a guy that had a lot of stuff and liked to make sure everybody knew about it. And so the neighbor that had all the stuff invited his new neighbor over, uh, for, for the family's over for dinner, uh, not on the, under the guise of being neighborly, but really he's just wanting to show off. And so he brought the new boy in there, and he, they had supper, and he's taking him around his house. It was a nice house. And he was especially proud of his nice collection of antique furniture. He had some really nice pieces in there. And so as he was pointing out some of those pieces of furniture, he said to the new boy that moved in, he said, I want you to notice that some of this goes back to Louis XIV. And the old boy that just moved in said, I know what you mean. Ours goes back to Sears the 15th if we don't make a payment. You see, there's always going to be those who have newer and better stuff than you. Who cares? We got to resist comparing ourselves to others. Paul said, I've learned to be content. Don't base your self-worth on your net worth. The two have absolutely nothing to do with the other. Resist comparing yourself to The second thing we can learn from Paul is rejoice in what we do have. Rejoice in, back up in verse 4 of chapter 4. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He said, I'm, I'm rejoicing right now in all the things that I have. Where is he? He's in prison. But he's rejoicing. Because he knew that his joy, his thanksgiving, had nothing to do with stuff. There was an old hymn we used to sing. We, we used to sing it all the time. Count your blessings. Remember that old song? Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. Maybe sometimes we just need to spend a little more time thanking God for what we do have. And a little less time blaming God for what we don't have. You know, because it doesn't, and I don't care what the TV preachers say, God doesn't intend for every person to be a millionaire. And if you're not a millionaire, it's not because there's something wrong in your life or you're not following God or you don't have enough faith or anything like that. Paul didn't die a millionaire. Or none of the apostles. 
Maybe we just need to rejoice in what we do have. But isn't it so easy to get our eyes off of what we do have onto all the things we don't have? Wasn't that how sin entered into the world in the first place? I mean, here was Adam and Eve. God had made them a garden. They had everything in there they needed. And the serpent just slithered in and said to Eve, Wow, look at all these nice trees. Did God say you couldn't eat of any of these trees? Now, he knew. But she said, oh, no, we can eat of any of them except the one in the midst of the garden. And God said, that's off limits. But in that one moment, he got her eyes off of all she had onto the one thing that God said, it's not my will for your life. She forgot about what she had and focused on what she didn't. And sin entered into the world. And we do that all too often in our lives. Maybe we need just to learn to count our blessings and thank God for what he's given us. As we're getting close to the Christmas season, I'm, I'm reminded of a little boy who was in school and, and uh, it was evident that his, his family was very needy. And so, so one of the teachers took him aside and, 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 and very discreetly, because she didn't want to embarrass him, and she said, son, uh, you know, we have a fund here at the school that helps poor people at Christmas time. He goes, well, no, ma'am, uh, my dad says we're not poor. We just don't have any money. You see, that little boy understood that being rich or being poor has absolutely nothing to do with the amount of money that you got in the bank. Right, a preacher of Ecclesiastes again, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. You see, if by getting more we were happier, then it would stand to reason that the higher our income, the greater our happiness. But that doesn't measure up, does it? We've got to resist comparing ourselves to others. We've got to rejoice in what we do have. And then another secret that we learn from the Philippian church and the Apostle Paul is we've got to learn to release what we have to help others. Now, now the occasion for the letter probably was the church at Philippi knew Paul was in prison and they sent a man by the name of Epaphroditus there with a gift for Paul. Might have been food, it might have been a coat, it, it, it was something to help meet his needs. And so Paul was writing a letter thinking, I'm rejoicing because of what you sent. But not just what you sent now, but I remember way back in the beginning, after I went to Philippi and started a church and moved on down to Thessalonica, you, you sent me money there to help. He said, he said not, that I, not that I need the money, or not that I'm asking for anything, but I'm just glad you sent it. Because of the fruit that abounds to your account. See, we've got to learn to release what we have to help others. John Wesley, the founder of Methodist Church, was, was credited with a, with a sermon that he preached one time. And basically the outline of the sermon was, gain, gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And, and our idea of the Protestant work ethic came, came out of some of that, that we're to work hard, save, save some, and, and give some away. 
But now we've turned that around. Now it's like I'm going to get all I can, can all I get, and sit on the can. We're going we're to hold on to it. We're not going to let it loose. Paul would often remind the New Testament church that it is better to give than to receive. You, you want to know an, an, an alarming statistic? That, that as, as people's income increases, their percentage of charitable giving decreases. Now you'd think it'd be just the opposite, wouldn't it? And how many times have we tried to bargain with God like that? God, if you just help me win the lottery, I, I'd, I promise I'd tithe. I'd give 10% of it to you. And we try to bargain. We're thinking, if I've got more, then I'll give more. But Jesus said it doesn't work like that, does it? Because if you're not faithful in the least, you won't be faithful in the much. If you're not faithful in the little things, you won't be faithful in the big things. It's the little, it's the least that, that qualifies you to be faithful in the bigger things. You know, way, way back when I first started in ministry and, and, and we were studying missions, the, the goal was that when you, were, when you sent out missionaries and, and, and were starting churches, that, that you needed ten families to support a bivocational pastor. You try supporting a pastor with ten families today. Because we're so head over heels in debt that we can't release anything. We, we, we miss the blessing. Paul reminded that our Lord said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. We, we miss the blessing of giving. I'm, I'm thankful that, that, our, that our church offers courses like financial peace to, to, to help us to, to, to get a handle on some of this stuff. So that we can learn, as Paul did, learn how to be content and to be good stewards, to be good managers. Have you ever said or ever heard anybody say, well, I want to give God his 10%? You know something? God doesn't own 10% of what I have. God owns 100% of it. It's all his. I'm, I'm merely a manager. That, that he's entrusted a little of all that he has entrusted to me to, to use and to manage while I'm here. And I'm responsible not just for the 10%, I'm responsible for the 100%. As to what I do with it, how I use it, what I buy with it, how I invest it, how I, how I give it away. We have to release what we have to help others. Resist comparing yourselves to others. Rejoice in what you do have. Release what you have to help others. And finally, the fourth thing that we learn here from the text is we have to refocus on what is going to last. I like what Paul said in, in, in verse 17. He said, not that I seek the gift. Thank you for sending it. Thank you. But it's not, I'm not excited because of the gift as much as I am that I seek the fruit that abounds to your what account is he talking about well we all have at least two accounts we have our bank account down here whether it's in regions or bank of the Ozarks or wherever it might be we have our bank account down here but then we also have an account in heaven 
Now, I'm not sure how it all works. But, but as we're good stewards, as we're good managers of what God gives to us down here, then we, we invest in heavenly things, eternal things that will last. Because you see, if we just live by the motto, he who dies with the most toys wins, we're losers. Because we leave everything behind. Someone once asked John D. Rockefeller's accountant when he died, how much money did Mr. Rockefeller leave? And his accountant said he left all of it. He didn't take anything with him. You see, we don't take it with us. We can merely send it on ahead. Jesus said, don't store up for yourselves treasures down here on earth. Where moth and rust corrupt and, and thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where, where moth and rust cannot corrupt and, and thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, we follow after the things we love, don't we? You know, pretty much you can tell what's important to me. By, by looking at my calendar and looking at my checkbook. Because I guarantee you, I'm going to spend my time on those things that are important. And that may or may not be what I say is important. But where the rubber hits the road, where the water hits the wheel, I'm going to spend my money and my time on those things where my heart is. So even our checkbook, can be a pretty good spiritual thermometer of where our heart is. See how, how sad it would be to leave this life with our bank account full, but our account in heaven empty. Now don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we can buy our way into heaven or that it has anything to do with that. But I am saying that it, the scripture teaches that as we invest in the things of God, that our, our money follows our heart. See, there are really three ways to live when it comes to finances. We, we can live by fear. My poor grandparents live like that. They both grew up really, really hard. They lived through a Great Depression. They didn't become Christians until they were 85 years old. And they were always afraid that they'd get down, they'd get sick, they wouldn't have money. And so when my granddaddy died, I guarantee you he had 90 cents out of every dollar he'd ever made. Because he'd held on to it. But it was not because he wanted to, it's because of fear. He was afraid. Or we can live by presumption. You know, we just presume that, hey, I want it, I'm going to get it. It's like, God, that's what I want, work it out for me. And so we name it and claim it in the name of Jesus and just expect him to do it. The rich fool lived by presumption, didn't he? All his barns were full, so what did he do? He tore down barns, built bigger barns, filled them up, and thought, wow, I finally made it. I've got enough to retire. I can sit back, eat, drink, and be merry. And the Lord said, you fool. 
Tonight your soul's required of you. Now whose will these things be? He presumed. See, this life's short. Doesn't last very long. And even if we manage to get a lot of stuff and make it through, we still lose. Someone said if you win the rat race, you still lose because you're still a rat. Doesn't, doesn't mean anything if you got more than somebody else. Refocus on what's going to last. We can live by fear. We can live by presumption. Or we can live by faith. We walk by faith as Christians, don't we? Paul very confidently said to the church at Philippi, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Paul understood that self-worth had absolutely nothing to do with net worth. You know, a lot of Christians are miserable today because we bought into this Madison Avenue idea that there's never enough. We always need more. There's always something better. A newer, mo- a newer model, newer gadgets, do something different. And we, even many Christians have bought into that. And you're miserable. Because Jesus was very plain. He said, no man can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be loyal to the one and despise the other, but you can't serve two masters. Neither can you serve God and mammon or God and money. Just doesn't work. Instead, you do as Jesus said. You seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then, all these things that you need will be taken care of. Don't buy the world's lie. Resist comparing yourself to others. Rejoice in what you already have. Release what you have to help others. And refocus on what's going to last. A financial principle is Don't put all your eggs in one basket. You ever heard that? Diversify. In other words, spread it out among about 20 stocks so they can all fall instead of just, you know, putting in one and let it fall. But no, that's a good financial principle. Diversify. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. But far too many people are putting all their eggs in this basket in this world. And we know that one day, it's going to be no more. What have you invested? What have you sent on ahead? Would you bow your head just a moment? You know, some of you, like myself, probably just need to say to God today, Lord, I'm sorry for getting caught up 
too much of the world system. My values are based on things and finances. And I worry too much about stuff. I've got bills and I don't know if I can pay them. And I want to get more for my kids and I can't afford to. Maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe today you just need to make a commitment to say, God, I I want you to be first in every area of my life. And that includes my finances. I want you to be first. I want to make financial decisions based on your will for me and my family, not based on what the world says I should do or I ought to do. Because, gang, more will never be enough. It never stops. There'll always be somebody with more than you have. They'll always have a newer car, a bigger house. It'll never stop. Maybe your commitment today as we get ready for the holidays that you just want to put him first in your finances and in every other area of your life as well. Maybe you're struggling today. In fact, it's gotten so bad in your life and in your family that, that it's about to break apart your marriage. If, if, if there's anybody like that today, I, I pray that as husband and wife today that you'll make a commitment to one another to seek out help. To help you look at your situation and assess it and get you on a plan so many couples fall into that trap that they think by having a big house it means having a happy marriage and sometimes it means the exact opposite you make that commitment to one another and make that commitment to God isn't it amazing that Jesus came to set us free and yet we make ourselves slaves to debts and bills and creditors and stuff that we're so busy we can't even enjoy what we already have because we're trying to pay for what we have so that we can buy more thinking that that will make us happy. That's not the life of a disciple. That's not the life of a follower. That's not a life of peace and joy and happiness and contentment. It doesn't work that way. So no matter where you are, God is able to bring a solution. God is able to give peace. So maybe today it's time to finally say, God, I surrender to you my checkbook.
I surrender to you the desires of my heart. I surrender to you my lifestyle. I'm tired of trying to keep up, go up, move up. I just want to grow to be like you. Will you give it to him right now? Brother Tom's coming to the front. Our pastors are coming as well. Maybe as, as Stu leads us in a song, maybe there's some other commitment in your life you need to make. Maybe things aren't right in your finances because you don't have a right relationship with God. If that's not right, nothing's going to be right. So maybe you want to come today and say, Preacher, there's just some things that I need to get right and I want to start today. So that I can have an attitude of gratitude. Would you stand as Stu leads? Tom's here at the front. Mark's coming as well. Would you?